سلام خوش آمدید مرحبا اهلا و سهلا اناشنیکا خوانیغامیدا سلام علیکم شراغلا اولام بینبینیدوس زدرستوچی دبرو پاجالوچ هلو ویلکم تو آر پادکست دیالای افل سی لنگو actually what got me into teaching I just fell in love with it and and as, as I said I applied after that to, for my master's because I wanted to know more how to really get into the communicative approach Lana Almud Hafar teaches Arabic at DLI FLC she's a native speaker of the language she teaches despite what her fantastic British accent might say To learn where she got her accent, you have to go back before she got a job at DLI. That was before she married her Marine DLI grad husband, before she got a Fulbright scholarship to get her master's in the U.S. That was back before she learned how much she enjoyed teaching, before she worked with USAID, and before the multiple wars between Iraq and Iran that she and her family were caught in. Before all that, a two-year-old Lana and her family moved to England. I was born in Basra when I was like two years, two years and a half. We went to England. Uh, my father was finishing his master's and PhD there. Basically, I lived there for eight years or nine, I can't remember, something like that. Uh, so my schooling was in England. They lived in mostly northern England, and you can hear it in her accent. England, if you go up north, it's more of a Scottish Uh, accent, so I kind of, it's hidden back away, and it comes out a little bit here and there, so. In 1985, her family had to move back to Iraq, smack dab in the middle of war. For a child who was used to the peace of England, it was a shock. We came back in uh, 1985, which wasn't a good year because uh, there was the war with Iran at that time. And specifically Basra, I remember, was um, being bombed daily uh, from Iran. Being a child that lived in England and had their friends and the society there and, and then brought to a war zone and it had to be like uh, a daily struggle. It took me a while to kind of uh, get back into society and understand that I have to change my ways in uh, living there. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah, basically I stayed there in 1985. Um, the war finished, another war started. The Iran-Iraq war started in 1980. It ended in 1988, a year after Iran forces came within six miles of Basra and destroyed much of the city with their bombing. But peace lasted only a few years before the war began again. In the 90s, during the Persian Gulf War, Basra once again suffered extensive damage. All those wars, plus the nature of Iraq at that time, made it difficult for Lana to maintain her English. I could sustain both of them. It was quite hard probably to sustain the English because I didn't have 
uh, Iraq was closed, as everybody knows, and you, you didn't have no satellites. Very hard to keep contact uh, with the rest of the world. I did have friends uh, from Sheffield that probably we used to write letters. Then in 2003, America's Operation Iraqi Freedom happened. It was just over 90 minutes beyond President Bush's deadline for Saddam Hussein to leave Iraq that U.S. warships and planes, there were F-117 stealth bombers involved, launched the opening salvo of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was at that time working with the South Oil Company in Basra. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but we in Iraq only have one uh, oil company. So I was in, uh, very fortunate to have that job at that time. Uh, but I saw that some of my friends were going and working with USAID uh, programs and they were speaking English and I had this desire and it's like, I, I want to do that. So I ventured off and uh, got a few interviews and um, started working with uh, the programs. Her job as translator with the USAID program was exciting, but it wasn't without its danger. There were lots of, uh, let's say, religious parties that started to form at that time. Uh, and I started to work with USAID organizations, um, so we were threatened. So to protect ourselves, to protect our families, uh, I put the veil on. So it was like, uh, it's an easy choice to do. It's like just to go through uh, the day without being harassed or anybody, you know, telling you how to put something on your, on your head. So I had to at that time. And I worked for four years on that project with everybody. It was, it was a really um, exciting time, and I learned a lot. I made lots of friends. The oil company Lana worked for only offered a certain amount of time off to do the USAID work. So in 2008, Lana had to go back to working for the oil company. That's when she learned about a new program they offered. They would teach her to teach English. I mean, the first week, I think, I was back. I was really miserable. But my friend came and said, you should put your name on this uh, new program. And I said, what's the program about? And she said, they want ESL teachers, and they're taking them to England to have a course of uh, teachers teach teachers training. Lana had to take a test in Baghdad to qualify. Once she was accepted, she was able to leave the country and study in England for a month. It was the first time she'd been back to the UK since she was a young girl. We got sent to Cambridge, uh, where I spent four weeks. A teacher taught us like ESL principles, how to teach and communicative approach and, you know, student center. And I just fell in love with that. And then we graduated, gave us a certificate, went back home uh, to Basra, and we had a language centers. Then all the employees would come take courses, and we implemented the courses that we uh, were taught. So that was really fun. And that's actually what got me into teaching. I just fell in love with it. And, and as, as I said, I applied after that to, for my master's because I wanted to know 
more had to really get into the communicative approach. Lana applied and received a Fulbright scholarship to attend a school in the U.S. Now, if you've ever applied to a school outside of your country, you know the uncertainty that comes along with it. Will your visa go through? Will your health records be accepted? Will there be a bump in the road that, just before you leave, makes you stay in your home country? With that uncertainty in mind, as insurance, in case the scholarship fell through, a month before she was supposed to leave to go to school in the U.S., Lana got another job teaching English. This time, the upper manager was a contractor named Michael. He was a former DLI grad. At that time, he would come, pass by, and how's everything? I was very hesitant to reply because, like, in an environment, uh, I didn't want any trouble with, you know, she's talking to the boss too much or anything. So he said, he, he said I was very quiet. Like, he said, you were supposed to be an English teacher, so when I came to speak with you, you never would <laughs> reply that much. And I was like, is she really, you know, teaching English <laughs> So uh, th that's basically how we got to know each other. A very formal basis. On my last day, I think, uh, I told him I'm leaving to the US. I got the Fulbright. I was very happy. He gave me his e email. Once in America, Lana lost track of Michael's information and she was busy with school. Uh, in the you know midst of everything, me traveling, it was a piece of paper that I don't know where it went, so. It wasn't until she needed a job recommendation that she got in touch with him a year later. By then, Michael was back in the States working on his PhD. Their relationship developed. Because Michael had been an Arabic linguist with the Marines during Desert Storm in the 90s, and he'd been a contractor in Basra, they had a lot in common. He He's seen more of Iraq probably than I have, because <laughs> he, he's like, have you been to that part? And, no, I haven't. Well, I have. <laughs> so he got to see a lot of Iraq, and that's probably what made it easy for us. Like, he, when I talk about something, he's been there, and he knows when I, you know, talk about memories, he, he understands me, so it was, it was nice. A year later, Lana and Michael got married. They decided to stay in the U.S. Uh, the ultimate goal was to leave Iraq because um, th there was no freedom for me. Like, again, I was veiled. Um, I wouldn't mind it if it w would not be imposed. Like, humans and their nature like to take their own decisions. Like, if I want to put it on my head, I'll put it on my head, on my own rules. But when I'm threatened, uh, or my family's threatened for that, then I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't do that. So yeah, uh, so I think I, I took the right uh, decision. It was her husband and her love of teaching that led her to DLIFLC. I was more into English uh, teaching because that's my studies. But he at that time was, um, this is after we got married, I think it was the same year, uh, he was teaching the intensive summer course, uh, Swissel, I think, in Indiana University. So he said, come with me, I want you to see 
how you can teach Arabic. And I don't know why I was like, no, I can't. He says, I'm teaching it. You know how to speak it so you can teach it. So I sat with him for the summer course and I was like, oh, this is real cool. Like, I like how the students can like in a month have, you know, just basic uh, language uh, abilities. Uh, so from that, yes, he told me about DLI and I just started to apply for it and uh, now we're here, so. Lana and Michael have happily settled into Monterey, both working as teachers. From her beginnings in Basra and England to now, Lana's adventures as translator and teacher have taken her on a journey that has given her an incredible depth of experience. And she gets to pass that on to her students at DLI. 